there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Deer for 50 years and he's retired and he's helping us with some tractor work and he never calls us before he comes. He just kind of shows up. And of course, he showed up today, this morning, and now he's, my husband's out there working on the tractor with this man. I didn't know if we could push it back an hour today, or how does it work? Is this, is this what's going to be live for the podcast, this, this interview here, or are you going to ask us questions first and then it goes live, or how does it work? Yeah, it's totally recorded. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing live about it, so it's really easy to edit. We can do it a different day, no worries. Um, because it's so. I mean, we really want to do it, and I hate canceling twice. No, no. And besides, I'm like, you know, it's like it's not going to broadcast till April anyway. So okay. Um, and then he could do it if you pushed it. Like, I don't know if you have a time later today. He could do it later today. Um, I can't imagine him being out there any longer than a couple more hours. That's no. I totally understand the John Deere thing. Well, truth be told. I had another interview today and she also canceled like does next Monday at this time work? Cause I think that's when she rescheduled or next. Okay. Is this what it is? It's Monday. Yes. And I feel so bad. We're not the type of people that cancel so much. I'm sorry about that. No worries. I totally always say, um, the perfect interview happens when just the right listener is in the audience. And like, I am like just in the middle of like, besides the Google thing, like, I just launched my, or I've been working on like this free organic garden course for a year and six weeks. (laughs) And like, I just finished it yesterday, uploading all the files. Like I've been like frantically trying to like figure out how to send it to my email list, how to upload it. Like, and just like, and my next step is like promoting it. And there's also like a hard copy of a book with it. So to truth be told, next week would be just fine for me. Okay. I'm like, okay. I'm just, you know, I love to interview people and share the knowledge. And no, I'm very flexible. So yeah, I feel like... It would be a better interview with us both here. Yeah, if you um, feel that way and you're more comfortable yeah. that way. The only thing, you know, my only hesitation is I've struggled before having two people on the line. The quality of the sound sometimes goes down. Yeah, and it but if he if you're kind of just there and he's talking to you, that's what my husband and I kind of do sometimes too. So, I mean, we definitely like we have lectured on agriculture at agriculture conferences, and we usually do it together. But he has cool. much more of the knowledge base when it comes to like the Albrecht method that we use and the veganic principles and the different minerals and the things that kind of set us apart from other Do you not have a copy of the questions? Did I not send you any questions? You did. And we answered them all and I emailed them all to you. Oh, okay. That's basically just for your, uh, but that really actually helps when I, cause I pretty much type up my show notes. Yeah. Um, Did you see the email that has those? responses you know now that you say that i do remember seeing that i just uh i didn't open it up again today um yeah and i don't know if that you know if there's to make the interview go more smoothly if there's anything that you think we should you know add or take away or anything like that or if it's better just kind of off the cuff just letting it flow whatever let me look for it super quick. It's east, you know, eastward gardens. It would have been under that. 
Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay. Oh, wait. Did I save it in that folder? That's why you have a folder already. Um, a professional skateboarder. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, um, all right. Well, I'll read through it more. Yeah, because the story is kind of cool, you know, because there's a lot of people out there because agriculture is becoming very popular now wanting to start their own farms. And, you know, we were both city kids. We did not have a farm growing up and he was a professional skateboarder and, you know, becoming farmers was something that, um, was definitely not, you you know, it's not something that we either one of us had any background with, you know? And so now we're able to support ourselves on the farm. It's just the two of us here, but we do it for a living. So that's kind of neat, you know, for people to see that it can happen. Yeah, and that's, my listeners love to hear these kind of stories. I mean, that's what my show is, um, you know, that's exactly what they like to hear about. And a lot of my listeners are, like, in my husband and I's situation, we're like, we're pretty kind of focused on trying to grow enough of our own food just to feed the two of us. But then Mm -hmm. he built this thing I call the mini farm, and, like, eventually, maybe someday we'll get to be market farmers. I don't know. So we're like in that, and like a lot of my listeners are in that. They're they're very experienced farmers, mar- people with you know five to ten years of experience, have pretty large sized gardens, and they either want to know like if they want to you know go to market someday or have a CSA right. or at least just like know secrets that will help them produce more food in their garden. Yeah, and yeah, so and it a- sounds like you guys have a ton of that knowledge, and just like I love to hear like my. My all-time dream eventually is to be like a children's book illustrator who who like um, specializes in biographies. I love to hear people's stories. Yeah, and I mean nowadays with the way our food system, the direction our food system is going in, I mean it's like so important to have access to fresh, non-adulterated food. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think next Monday should work. What time? Same time? Different time? Yeah, same time. It's good for me. Okay, so that will be the 25th at noon. Okay. And we'll just say third time's a charm. Okay. And just, <laughs> yeah, if something comes up, don't hesitate to email me. Just the earlier you email me, just a little easier for me. Um, yes. But it's always, I mean, I'm pretty much on my computer all the time. <laughs> okay we have so much snow here i haven't left my house in like a week and i think we're finally going to get out today so i'm kind of excited to go ski if i can with my friend the sun's coming out i haven't seen the sun in a while so it actually it works for me that way too and um like i said i always say the perfect interview happens and like part of the reason we haven't been out is because my husband's john deere backhoe is broken and we need to go get a fan belt and like otherwise he would have the road plowed (laughs) he's been like shoveling like it's insane like it's a, a quarter of a mile at least that he has basically just shoveled like two and a oh, half, wow. three feet of snow so my car can get up. <laughs> yeah, on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we lost an entire greenhouse to a windstorm. Oh. A brand new greenhouse. Oh, it's no. only an old greenhouse, yeah. And it was filled with flowers, <gasps> ranunculus and anemones. Oh. And the wind caught underneath it. And I think because we've been so saturated here, um, it loosened it. It just literally picked it up, turned it upside down, and smashed it on the ground. Wow. But we did not lose any flowers. You're kidding. No, none of them got damaged. So then But that's still took... like having to replace that. Can you oh, fix it, it or does huge. it have that's... to be completely replaced? 
the whole thing is demolished. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like how the wind or like snow melt, like sometimes like the snow will be out there and then all of a sudden it gets to this like point where it melts enough that it's so heavy. All of a sudden it just collapses. Yes. We've, yes. we've broken a few greenhouses that way under snow. Oh, that's so sad. I'm sorry to hear that. But we had, um, some materials. So he built a caterpillar tunnel over the flowers. So they're still fine. Wow. Well, good deal. Yeah, so I was kind of looking at your website, and then I guess I found you on Florette's blog. That's um, how big is your place? It's not very big. I might have made a comment or something, and you noticed my comment, I would guess, because, I mean, she's like a totally different league than I am with flowers. I'm going into my third season of growing flowers. So we've grown vegetables. We've been predominantly vegetable and fruit farmers and culinary herbs for 12 years. I worked as a registered nurse, a registered dietitian and a a lactation consultant for many years with the dream that I could quit my job someday if the farm was sustainable. Well, it took us quite a while to get to where we are today because we start. So try, try to make it quick. We moved to Seattle, Washington from Louisville for me to go to grad school at a naturopathic school out there. That's when Larry started interning on a farm. So he's been farming ever since then. And I just joined full time onto the farm a year ago, June, I quit my job. And that's when we really bumped up the flower production because now I'm home full time and I can do more with it. So we do a lot of flowers and, but I say a lot compared to Florette, it's not very much. We grow on like two acres. Um, our farm is 16 and a half acres, but we, you know, crop rotate and we only have, there's about six acres of, uh, tillable or workable land. And, um, we rotate and do about two at a time. So, and it's just the two of us. So, uh, we sell, uh, vegetables, fruit, culinary herbs and flowers. We do microgreens also. Uh, we sell a lot of microgreens through the winter. Um, that's a big part of our income through the winter months. This is all gold. I'm glad I hit record by accident because <laughs> I thought we were going to start talking. The, this is exactly what my audience wants to hear. So culinary herbs, who do you sell those to? To like chefs or like to grocery stores or a CSA or who buys culinary herbs? And do you want to tell listeners like what's an example of a culinary herb versus a, I guess, what is it like a medicinal herb? Yeah. So, I mean, I, we just specify culinary as in herbs that we're used to seeing people cook with. So like oregano, marjoram, rosemary, thyme, sage, sorrel, uh, you know, we do parsley, basil, and, and then who all... are you selling these to? Like so we sell, a CSA or? Yeah, we have a 20-week CSA program, and we sell to local restaurants. We have two farmer's markets a week, and then we sell to a local health food store also. And it's small, you know, on a small scale, uh, like I said, because it's just the two of us. So we have... Um, you know, one health food store that we consistently sell to. We have, you know, maybe two or three restaurants that we consistently sell to. And then the 20 week CSA program. And then the two farmers markets a week are really um, where the bulk of our income comes from are the oh, farmers. Interesting. Markets. Uh, so 20 week CSA, what does that start? Like 
usually starts in May, May, May or June and goes through October, November. And what do you start out with like in May? Like what are in your first baskets? I like that. I love this idea of the culinary herbs. Yeah, those, um, you know, we have usually that time of year, you're going to have radishes, turnips, arugula. Um, you, we will, we will have, so we have a flower share this year for the first time where if people wanted to have flower bouquets in with the vegetables, they can have that option. So we do have ranunculas and anemones, um, that usually go, they usually start April and go through about four to six weeks once they start. Um, and then I could pull up, let me look really quick at some more, more veggies. I can say, um, definitely salad mix and lettuce, spinach. Um, we have all that by those first boxes. And then, and something that's unique about our CSA is because we're a veganic farm and I'm a dietitian, we include newsletters in each CSA box and it gives recipe ideas using the ingredients, using the, the items in the box. And then all the recipes are, are plant-based recipes. And I also list like nutritional value in the food. How do you store the crops? Um, you know, different options for like processing or preserving and different things like that. So on our website, under the CSA tab, there's six years worth of newsletters there that have recipes. Um, so like the, let's see, we had beets, garlic, head lettuce, um, bunching onions, microgreens, arugula, and salad mix. Wait, where's the recipes tip? Oh, under CSA newsletters? Yeah, if you go under CSA and then newsletters and then all those years, it's 20 recipes per year, 20 CSA newsletters per year. They're listed. And what great design you've got on there. Yeah, I work really hard on the newsletter. It's kind of my labor of love. Like you talked about liking to do things with children and illustrating. I really like sharing recipes. I really love to cook. So, um, a lot of people ask for my recipes, so I just started including it in the, the so newsletter. So give it, for- share, go ahead and share with us one of your favorite recipes. <clears throat> like what's um, something, or maybe something surprising that like people would get in their CSA that they wouldn't normally know what to do with. Like sorrel even. Yeah, sorrel's great. Sorrel is really Yeah, popular. my mom grows that and right. I ate a lot of that when I was visiting her this year. It's really good cooked just simply with like lentils and rice and cook it in with the lentils. It's a nice green to add to beans and rice dishes, even like a white bean um, dish. It's really good to add in. I think one of my favorite recipes is probably pesto, Mm -hmm. Uh, making a a plant-based pesto that doesn't have cheese in it is usually kind of a unique recipe for people because a lot of people think you have to add cheese for the pesto to be tasty. Um, but this pesto recipe is really tasty. Cool. Without- Can you share it with us? Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up here really quick. I don't know it by heart, so. All right. Well, like I said, it's super easy to edit. Like, you can put me on pause for five minutes. Take your time. <laughs> okay. It's no big deal. So, I know it's in here because I put it in here very often. Isn't it right here on the front? Michelle's favorite pesto? Yeah. Where? Which year are you in? 
um, I don't think I even, did I pick a year? I think I just clicked the like front, like if you just click the newsletter and don't okay. pick a year, it's the front one. Okay. Not so spicy salad mix, arugula, microgreens with sunflowers, bunching onions, summer squash. Yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. Michelle's favorite pest salad. <laughs> but, um, so we'll still do the interview with Larry too, right? Sure. Next week. You bet. Okay. All right. Um, My listeners so, love to hear anything and you're just like on a roll and it just, it'll be like a bonus. I'll be like, want to listen to my bonus pre-chat with Michelle and they'll okay. be like, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. So the reason why I love this pesto is because, you know, when you're a farmer, I don't like to see anything go to waste. So like when we get things that extra, you know, after market or if there's just stuff in the field. Um, I want to try to harvest it and process it. And pesto is a great one because you can process it and freeze it. And then we're eating pesto all winter long, which is really awesome. So you can use arugula. And if you use arugula, you have to blanch it first because arugula has a very strong flavor. Mm -hmm. And blanching is just where you boil it for 30 seconds and then put it in really cold water right afterwards to stop the cooking process. So you can use arugula. My favorite is a combination of basil and cilantro. You can put those two together and it's really tasty. You can use kale, you can use broccoli, parsley, and all those options are really tasty. And so it's just five cloves of garlic in the food processor and you chop that up. And then I always use walnuts because they're less expensive and I recommend using organic ingredients. And so the organic other thing I like about walnuts is they're like a really high source of CoQ10. And I feel like, um, besides, you know, pine nuts being expensive, I feel like why not get that bonus, uh, CoQ10, right? Do you know yeah. You and they're healthy that? for There's your brain. The omegas <clears throat> for your brain health are there too. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Cause when I remember so when I was teaching, we talked about how could we get walnuts into the kid's diet at school? Like it was one of the things we were trying to incorporate. Yeah. So pesto is a great way to do that. <laughs> Yeah, pesto is a great way to do that. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, so mix all these ingredients. <clears throat> yeah, so it's a cup of, uh, so it's five cloves of garlic, a cup of walnuts, one and a half cup of whatever your combination is, basil, cilantro, blanched arugula, a third a cup of olive oil, and then a half a teaspoon of sea salt. <clears throat> then you blend it all together, mm -hmm. and then I store them in um, mason jars with parchment paper on top in the freezer. Oh, and you don't seal the mason jar? Just put parchment paper over it? <clears throat> you seal it with the lid as well, yeah. So you put the lid on there, and then you... The parchment paper just helps prevent freezer burn Oh, on the top of it. So parchment paper, then the, you know, the ring on the lid, and then you store that in the freezer, and it's it's easy. It's really easy and it's a way to kind of use up those extra foods if you need to and have that through the winter to eat with it's best on homemade bread with fresh tomato slices though that's the best right. <laughs> yeah oh that sounds so good uh <clears throat> and i like that without the cheese and i'm yeah. such a big arugula fan yeah we we love arugula too so tell us a little more about the flowers 
Yeah, so the flowers are a total labor of love for me because my whole, I've wanted to grow flowers my whole life. I never really have. I've always had like house plants and things like that. So when I quit my job, actually the year before I quit my job, I told Larry I really wanted to start flowers and he was a little hesitant with it at first. In his mind, he's thinking, well, you can't really eat a flower for one. Um, and he just didn't really see that we would have much of a market for them. So I told him, you know, maybe they'll sell, maybe they won't. But if anything, it will attract bees and it will just be pretty on the farm. You know, it'll just bring happiness to the farm. So he agreed with that idea. You know, we, we'd love to have more pollinators and we've wanted to get bees for some time now, too. And that's something we plan to do in the future. So it's funny because we kind of plotted out the field and where we were going to grow things. And he gave me a spot on the farm that wasn't the best spot. It didn't have the best drainage. Mm-hmm. And I think he was thinking, you know, that's that's where we'll try the flowers out because we didn't have a lot of space. So come to find out, the flowers are a lot easier to grow than food. Um, so the zinnias just did great in the spot he gave me. The sunflowers did great. And so our first go at it, we actually did pretty well. We have uh, some Mennonite neighbors that are just a few blocks from us that uh, do dahlias for a living. So I were friends with them, and I approached them with asking them a lot of questions, and they gave us our first dahlia tubers to start out. So we started out with dahlias, sunflowers, uh, zinnias. I did cosmos, some gumfrina, and really everything did great. So I started bringing bouquets to market, and we decided that we we decided we would give one bouquet away a market as just sort of a way to um, sort of be thankful for what we have and just show appreciation. And so. When we started to do that, it was amazing the reaction. I think in that first season, there were maybe three different people that started crying when I gave them the bouquet. Aww. And my husband was like, well, this is interesting. You know, he's thinking, I've given a lot of tomatoes away and no one's ever cried when I gave him a tomato. You know, like there's something special about these flowers. And so he was really sold on the flowers after that experience because he could see You know, the produce is nurturing and feeding our bodies and our health in a way that's it's nurturing, uh, like nutrition, um, nutritious and where the flowers are kind of feeding people's hearts. And it really had an impact on him and I both. And so we're going into our third season of flower farming now, and we've pretty much um, tripled the amount um, of flowers that we're doing. We've added... Um, we're doing like a thousand ranunculas, about 500 anemones. Oh, my husband's walking in now. Um, there we go. We're doing um, heirloom mums for the fall planting. It'll be the first time we're doing heirloom mums to try to extend our season out on the back end of it. And um, we've just really enjoyed it because it brings a lot of life to the farmer's market table. Uh, The flowers are just so beautiful. They attract a lot of people to the table. And we found um, that a lot of our customers that were already buying produce will just buy the flowers with the produce. And now we have a whole new customer base that come for the flowers that then also buy the produce. Um, So it's been a total win for us to incorporate the flowers. And, And the other thing I'll just add personally is I've struggled with depression here and there in my life and the flowers 
bring me a tremendous amount of joy. When I'm out there harvesting flowers, it's like a really great experience for me. It's it's a beautiful thing. Aww. Uh, you know, I have no idea how, like, you have totally inspired me. I'm going to send you some note cards when we're done. I'll make sure I get your address because, like I said, I like to paint the flowers in my garden. And I think you'll like some of my note cards and just, uh, yeah, I know how that depression thing. I feel like my podcast, like, saved me out of depression. Like, when I started it back in 2014, I was having a really tough year and feeling really alone in Northwest Montana, driving over the continental divide. Cause I was teaching, uh, 150 miles from my house. And just, uh, I really feel like podcasting, it's just been huge. I mean, I, I can't even, but flowers are huge to me too. Like people like back. So when I was 21, I read the biography of Georgia O'Keeffe. Um, there's a great one. It's called Portrait of an Artist by Lori Lizzle, who I don't know why she didn't write any other books because she just t- has a great storytelling. And just George O'Keefe's passion for always having live flowers. Like she lived in New York City in the winter. She would talk. There's lots of stuff in that book that talk about her always wanting live flowers in her house. Now, granted, she painted them, but I also paint. But and also like your story reminds me of like Erin's from Florette's first story of like how she brought this bouquet of sweet peas. And when she gave it to the person, they made her cry. And that's kind of how she started. Like, there's that whole feeling. There's just something about flowers. Like, I always love to give daffodils in the spring to people. Like, a bouquet that's, like, tied up with a rubber band and hasn't bloomed yet. And be like, here, put this on your desk. And the next morning, like, the surprise it brings. The brightness to people's day in the in March. Like, I'm as passionate about flowers. And I want to be a flower. I want to hear some secrets. Because yeah. we're, like, so- I've always said, if I'm going to be a flower, if I'm going to be a farmer, I want to do flowers. I focus on sunflowers. Like, my listeners, like, my first year, I, my goal was to plant 750, and I thought that was going to be huge. And now, that's, I can, that's much more doable. I feel pretty confident I can plant 750 flowers every year. But to be, like, a flower farmer, don't you have to plant, like, 750 <clears throat> a week? <laughs> and have, like, you just huge space, like you were saying, like, space. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that really spoke to me with flower farming is, you know, we're Christians and the idea that, you know, everything is, we're all individually made and just, you know, it's very um, individual. And also this idea that, you know, God is life giving to us. And so I would go out and pick very heavily. So our biggest market is on Sunday. Sunday morning, I want them to be fresh. I go out there and I harvest and I pick them heavy and our next market's on Tuesday and I'll be thinking I'm not going to have any flowers for Tuesday. It's funny. I do this week after week after week. (laughs) So Tuesday, I'm thinking I won't have enough. And then by Tuesday, I have so many more flowers. And so the trick, I think one of the keys is to harvest aggressively because for certain flowers like zinnias and cosmos and dahlias, the more you pick and the lower you, you harvest the stem, the lower you do it, the more they grow. And so you're the, basically the key is to pick, pick a lot. The more you pick, the more they grow. And that's not with everything. Of course, sunflowers aren't going to be that way. And right. um, like <clears throat> Celosia is not that way, but the zinnias and the cosmos and the dahlias are that way. The more aggressive you harvest, the more they grow. And that's just so awesome to me. So you go out there and there's all these new flowers the next day. And it's so like delightful and encouraging. You know, you just, 
it's a it's a great experience. So that would be one of my biggest pointers would be to don't be afraid to pick them. And when you pick them low, there'll be some branching flowers. And when my first year, I was like, oh, well, I don't want to lose that bud that's just coming on if I pick it low. But I learned uh, you, you want to go ahead and pick it low and then just cut off those buds that are branching to get that nice big stem for the bouquet because you want a long stem for a bouquet. And then the more aggressive you are with the depth of cutting, the more they bush out and grow more flowers. Golden Seeds by the gallon. I do remember like Aaron sent out those videos last year on how to make it. Um, and I watched one of them on how, and it did, it was huge how it helped me. And she talked also about like cutting that first bloom. It's really hard to do, but she said you'll be like paid back multiple times. So yes, um, like back to first buds or definitely I could tell a difference with pinching. I, I did it last year for the first time on all the dahlias and they all bushed out a lot more because I did that. Yeah, it's amazing how little small tips and tricks like this can really change uh, your production, which is what my listeners totally want to know. <laughs> the other little tip I'd say, because it's funny, I look back at old, you know, videos and pictures I posted from my first year doing it to this year or last year. It was I've, like I said, I'm only going into my third year, but my first bouquets I did in mason jars, mm -hmm. and it was so cumbersome getting them to and from market and they just took up a lot of space because again we're predominantly a, a produce farm uh, flowers are just a side thing for us so we have this van full of produce and now i'm like um i need to add 20 bouquets of flowers here and uh now how far like, is your market from your house from your farm in the van. um it's about 45 minute drive oh it's quite a ways yeah so we're, we're in southern Indiana, right outside of Louisville, Kentucky. So we do all of our sales in Louisville, Kentucky, as far as farmer's markets, and we do restaurants and health food stores there. We have a CSA pickup in Jasper, Indiana, and also in Louisville. So those are our two CSA drop spots. But um, what I've discovered is wrapping bouquets in paper, not only I think now that I look back on it, I think that they look better. And we've developed a sticker that has our logo on it that when we wrap it with the paper, then I put the sticker on there and we just get, what's the paper called? It's like a, I forget the name. Can you go grab the roll? Um, it's just something you can buy at Lowe's. <clears throat> and um, when you wrap it with the paper, you can fit a lot more bouquets in a van for shipping. And there's, you know, there's not all the, the jars are kind of cumbersome and they're hard to deal with. So now I don't do really hardly any mason jars. I do. I wrap all the bouquets in paper. It's called um, masking paper. It's just like a tan uh, paper that you can pick up at Lowe's and just wrap the bouquets in that. You know, you use a rubber band and then the paper and then our sticker, and it looks really nice. And I think customers like it better too because if they're at farmer's market, they can just grab the bouquet if they have the jar they have to deal with, a lot of times that's harder for them, like in their car, where are they going to put the jar with the water in it? And they seem to sell better, I think, wrapped in paper also. So that would be something I kind of learned. Through and that's the probably cutting the price. The jar is probably like almost a buck, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it does cut the price. I mean, as I well. like the jar because it's, you know, glass and recycling and, you know, but uh, paper, you know. Act, well, these are fantastic. I, I know listeners are just going to be delighted. So, do we want to introduce your husband? Um, so or he's he... sitting here. 
and his name's Larry, and he is um, the... He's the backbone of this farm. He's been farming for 12 years. And uh, I mentioned to you, you know, we started farming. He, when we met, he was a professional skateboarder and I was in college. We were both city kids. And then when I went to get my master's degree in Seattle, very first thing he said is, while you're in school, I want to learn how to farm. Uh, we both were really into eating organic. We both were eating a total plant-based diet for many years. We both understood the impact that GMOs had on the environment and on animals and we were both just really passionate about learning how to grow our own food really stemming from the concept of envir environmental health and our own health and so he's been farming now for 12 years he's always farmed organically our farm is actually certified naturally grown um but yeah so larry's here now you can ask larry questions hello hey there are you still there? Can you hear me? Sorry. Oh, I can hear you now. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, Larry. Hey, we're glad you're here. Yeah, sorry about that. No worries. It was great because Michelle just started talking and I just happened to hit the record and she has dropped just tons of golden seeds that I know listeners are going to really want to hear about. But um, we're glad you're here. So... I kind of always start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. So like if Larry, you want to go first and then Michelle, you want to share, but like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Was it when you went and interned in Seattle? Like what was your first gardening experience like Larry? Yeah, probably, you know, as a kid, I grew up in the city and we really didn't have, we didn't plant hardly anything. Um, as far as gardening goes, probably my first, like what I would call a real gardening experience was when I went and interned in Seattle. Um, I had had one personal experience with planting seeds before that. I used to own a, a body piercing shop of all things in Reno, Nevada. And we had this little planter box in the front of it that was like just a, a total mess. So one day I went out there and I, I planted sunflowers because I just was I don't know why I did it. I just thought I would plant some sunflowers there. I was at Home Depot and saw the packet. So I bought them. and I knew it. I was like, I'll bet you saw a packet of sunflowers. <laughs> I did. And I thought, oh, that'll be neat to see what, what they do. And I remember I'd sit in, in the office window there and you could see them and they started sprouting. And I was like, whoa, that, they actually sprouted. Like they're actually growing. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, you know, I've always been into nature and hiking and like being in the woods and all that. And I like you know, interested in all that stuff. And so I was just kind of like sort of marvelous thing to see something come to life like that and so that was like probably my first encounter with planting seeds but my real first gardening experience was when I went to Seattle and and um tell her about your first day and I and I was going to this farm and when I got there I thought I was going to visit the farm to see if I would be interested in working there and the guy says hey jump in my car I'll show you the other part of the farm we go over to this other farm it was down the road that he was farming these two different plots and I get out of the car and we start planting 400 foot beds and I'm like in my city clothes no hat no sons, nothing I'm just like not totally unprepared for this experience and I'm like okay well I guess I'm going to be farming today <laughs> and uh, we were planting these like I said 400 foot rows three rows or three beds with, with three rows in them. And we were planting broccoli and I mean, he was planting everything and, you know, it just, we did a bunch of, um, 
what was it, um, head lettuces. We did a bunch of uh, chicories. And I had never, I don't even know what a chicory is. I'm like, okay, whatever. And, and so you're we're planting seeds, right? No, we were transplanting. Oh. So we were doing transplants. And so, you know, it's just like I had no idea what I was doing. And so I'm just going along and doing what everyone else is doing. There's three of us. So one person's plopping and two of us are planting. And so anyway, by the end of the day, I thought I was going to die. And so I ended up coming home and Michelle's like, what happened? I'm like, uh, I worked all day. And, uh, you know, the sun burnt and I, lay down, I just laid down in bed. I'm like, about to die. That's what I felt like. And she's like, are you going to be able to do this? I'm like, surely I can do this. I've been like, I'm a healthy, strong person. I can, surely I can manage this. But it was the first week I was like working muscles that I don't think I ever worked in my life. And, and they paid him $25 a day yeah, to so work. $25 a day to try to see if I could survive it. Anyway, I, after about a week, I, I you know, it's kind of like had got those muscles into shape. And, and ever since then, it's been like, you know, I, it was interesting. So we, we planted these plants and I remember the first time I went to farmer's market and this is sort of the, the moment in my life when I knew that, um, there's really no other thing on the planet that I can do anymore. I uh, went to farmer's market and this lady came up with her young daughter and she bought a head of lettuce. And I, when I gave her the lettuce, I can just remember, I, I literally got goosebumps because I was looking at this lady and I'm selling her to this plant that I grew or I was part of growing and she was going to nourish her daughter. She was trusting me to give her the nourishment that her and her daughter were going to need to sustain life. And I just, there was just like this interaction that was going on between us. And I don't think she knew, but this is the experience I was having. This is just amazingly profound what you're engaged in this, this transaction of life. Like you are literally going to sustain this human being and they're trusting you with their child's well-being. And it just, I came home and I said, okay, I'm ruined, Michelle. I, I don't think I can do anything else ever again. Like, this is the most, amazing experience I've ever had. And so ever since then, this has been what I've done. And really that's a big deal for Larry because he had had like over 75 jobs in his life and really didn't know what he wanted to do. Didn't go to college, you know, just was a, he's a hard worker and the kind of guy that can do a lot of things, but just couldn't find that thing that was his purpose. And then once he started farming, he was like, this is it. I finally found it. Wow. Larry, you and I have a lot in common too. I, although not quite as many jobs, but I'm on like job number 53. People are always like, what? <laughs> My cousin, she's still at the same job I think she had since she got out of college. And she's like, she's been there for like 40 something years. Yeah. So like, this is my story with my wife. I, uh, so I have had these, all these jobs and you know, you, you don't really want to tell your, your future father-in-law that, you know, you, you've had a million jobs. <laughs> I totally can relate. Well, and he's had one, he's worked, he worked one place his whole life. He got his first job and he stayed there, became CEO of Kroger. <laughs> and so, it's like, okay, how do you, but you managed to like, you've been at this job, like you're at now at this farming thing for a long time, right? That was 2006. So that's 12, 13 years ago now, right? Yeah. We're going on 13 years, I think. Yeah. So yeah, once I found what it was that I, I was, uh, made to do it was pretty easy after that yeah and we connected so many dots i mean we're we're relatively new christians in the scheme of our whole lives and um 
never really understood the concept in the Bible in Genesis. It actually says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So the, the first gardener ever was God. And that's where your is that where your name of your farm came from? Comes from? Yep, it comes from that verse. And then if you think about it, a lot of people don't think about this either, but the first job ever given given to man was Adam. His job was to tend to the garden. So I mean gardening is it's a place where we commune with God. It's a it's a really amazing experience. It's it's something that we really appreciate a lot. Sure. Uh, I always feel that way when I'm out in nature. To me, it's a much more spiritual place to be. Yeah. Or to me um, with, you know, God yeah, or... If you, if you think about the, the concept of God planting the garden <clears throat> in Eden, you know, he spoke everything into existence, but he actually put his own hands to that work. He He planted a garden. And so it's it's kind of a, of a of an interesting thing to me to think about when we go out and we we work in the garden, all the object lessons, all the things that are there for us to learn about how we were created, how things life works. You know, when you look at all the different parables um, in the scripture, you know, many of the parables are agriculturally based, and I think that um, it's a fundamental teacher. You know, like I think it, there's something you get down to some really rudimentary concepts of life when you think about not just the, you know, the, the business side of what agriculture is, but the, the, uh, education component of what the garden can be for us personally. And that's really a lot of the principles behind our, our growing practices and how we treat the soil and the life in the soil, the microbial life in the soil is really important to growth of the plant and taking up the nutrients. And it's this beautiful cycle. Um, it's a really amazing thing. It's a beautiful cycle uh, where um, the Bible actually tells us that we're created from the ground, from the dirt. And so it makes sense that a lot of what the plant needs from the dirt to be healthy is the same thing that we need as humans as we eat the plant to be healthy. It's this really cool cycle. And so that's where Larry's actually done a lot of researching and studying on soil health and um, the practices that we have on the farm. Well, cool. Well, I am excited to dig into that because soil health is a huge, um, you know, the underlying theme of my entire show. I mean, everybody talks about that, but I just had to back up really quickly. Michelle, mm. what about your very first gardening experience? Like, who were you with? What'd you grow? Yeah, so my mom always had a green thumb, but it was always with house plants. Um, I just remember sure. my whole life she would have all these ferns and all these different plants inside the house. And so my actual very first gardening experience wasn't until we were in Seattle and I was in graduate school and um I would just to the farm where Larry was interning, I was um I was out there as much as I possibly could be. And I just fell in love with it right away. As soon as, you know, I started doing it with Larry as he was interning, I would show up at market and help sell the produce or I would go to the farm whenever I had free time. And, um, I, that was my first experience with it. And I just have loved it ever since. Excellent. Well, uh, 
So then that's basically how you guys learned how to garden organically that way then? Well, um, the first farm that I interned on was an organic farm. And so, and I had been working at a health food store. I ran an organic juice bar at a, at a wild oats in Louisville. And so I had been pretty connected to the idea of what I, you know, my ideas were firmly developed about how agriculture should be, but it was theory. You know, of course it's like, it's a great idea that everything should be a certain way, but then you, when you go do something, it oftentimes turns out to be quite different than your theory. And so I thought, you know, it's one thing to, to go to the grocery store and buy food because it has a label on it. What's actually happening? And I started to become concerned um, probably because of the processed foods more so. When you go on the grocery store shelves and it says organic and what does that mean? And and so I really felt – I was really, really felt compelled that I needed to um, probably be growing my own food. And I knew that I had – I already had ideas of how I thought that ought to be. And so when I started farming, um, organic was really the only option. Like when I say organic, I mean, you know, no synthetics, no, you know, and it's, it's kind of, um, you know, after 12 years, I've learned a lot more. And so, and being in actually in agriculture, that teaches you, you know, a lot of the nuances that, that take place in the field and, and what organic really is. And so, it's been a, I don't know, um, sometimes some of the things we learn are, can be quite disturbing, disturbing um, because it's not what you think it is. You know, I oftentimes think about when, th- when foods are processed and how you think, oh, that's just like a, uh, whatever, a cereal, for instance. And then you realize that like there's this whole process that is way outside of what is normal going on and how disturbing that can be. Um, when you learn how your food actually is processed, um, manufacturing wise. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Agriculture is, is a lot like that as well. Um, sorry, I have to interject really quick. Okay. The guy that's working on the tractor, he has to go because he has to go pick up kids on a school bus. He said, he'll be back tomorrow. Um, he said, you can't start the tractor and, is there anything you need to tell him? No. Okay, so. I'll run out and just tell him we'll see him tomorrow then. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. No worries. I told you in the beginning, it's super easy to edit. Okay, you can edit. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, like if you need to change an answer, think about something or, you know. Yeah, it's no, it's not hard to edit at all. Yeah. So, um, okay, so let me get back to that. So, um, I'm sorry about this. Usually I'm a little more fluid in my my thinking but we've got all this stuff going on today (laughs) yeah Uh, well we were it's funny we were like all right we'll do it again next week and then michelle was just like on a roll and dropping golden seeds and i had hit record before because i was like kind of like having a thing before i got on the mic and i was late and and uh, anyway but it's all going great you guys are sharing so much stuff that my audience will really be interested in i have this really annoying echo on my microphone that I have not figured out that just started two days ago. So everything I say, I hear behind me, but it's great. If you just keep talking. Okay. That's the best. Okay. Um, so I was talking about, um, 
cereal and processed food and sometimes right. things are different than we think they're going to be. Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think of the term that that is. It's, um, uh, ironic. No, it's, um, the process of when they do that to cereal, it's, uh, it's oh, called, uh, <laughs> I can't think of the terminology. It's, I, I it's just totally eluded my mind. Now I talk about it uh, actually quite frequently. Um, it's an example. It's a good example to use. Um, like how they it's make called, cereal, like how they turn the wheat into like something you buy in a box. Yeah. Yes, the actual process is not anything like you would think it is. Um, it's actually wet, pressurized heat, and they slurry the grain. And when they do that, it uh, they they pressurize it and they push it through a mold, and then they have a, a cutter that cuts it as it's pressed through, and that's how you get your O's or your A or whatever it is, you know, your little cereal chunk, whatever shape or number or letter it might be. And uh, when they do that to the food, it, it actually deconstructs it on a cellular level. It's really, really damaging to the, the chemical makeup of the of the food. And so it actually becomes what I would call an anti-food. It... Uh, it actually needs to kind of reconstruct itself. It's been broken. And so when you eat it, it actually has the, the ability to kind of take nourishment from you. And so we don't, we don't think about these things often because we don't know how our foods are made. And, and so when I came to agriculture, it's a similar, it's a similar situation. Like I don't think we realize like a lot of the things we're using, a lot of the biology, um, where's it grown on? Cause they're growing these biologies. And a lot of the times we don't think about it. They're grown on sugars and we don't necessarily know where those sugars are coming from. And a lot of times they can be beet sugars. Um, they can be corn syrup sugars and those can oftentimes be genetically modified, come from genetically modified plants. And so we may be using products and somewhere in their processing to make them, they can be, uh, if nothing else, uh, funding genetically modified companies or companies that do GMOs, Monsanto, Syngenta, some of these companies. And, and so there's also products that are organic seeds that come from self-fusion and cell fusion is when they cut out the mitochondria of one cell and they burn out uh, they burn out the mitochondria of another and they fuse those together. That's called cell fusion, and they get sterility. Male sterility is what they're shooting for in those 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 applications. And then they use those to create F1 hybrid seeds. And those seeds in the United States can be labeled organic. And so there's a lot of different things that are going on that are quite complicated complicated, complex things that happen in agriculture that we're really unaware of. And as I've gotten involved in it, I've become, well, I feel like it's as a farmer, I'm kind of responsible. I'm sort of the liaison between people and their food in a lot of ways. And so I become responsible to make the choices about where I buy seeds, about which seeds I buy, about which biologicals I might choose to use, um, what's going actually into the the process of making compost like a lot of times people don't realize like if you buy an organic compost for instance um you can use almost any material at the beginning of the fit the, the the composting process and when it comes out of the other end and it's called compost it's now organically certified for me that was a problem because well i mean a lot of that stuff can have gmo origins 
Um, it can be, you can get chicken manure. It's called organic chicken manure that comes out straight out of a, a chicken CAFO where they've used antibiotics. You know, they're feeding organic or, or non-organic feed, which is probably a GMO feed. Um, all the different things that you worry about when you think about those things. Um, hormones, all those different ingredients that go into raising those chickens is in that manure. And then they compost it and pelletize it and call it an organic chicken manure. And so there was a lot of concerns that I had as I learned a lot of these things about what is actually going into the raising of our food. And um, so we just made a decision that we weren't going to use animal products because that was one of the things that was very difficult to find that was actually a clean source of, of manure. And we also decided that we were going to use no products that came from anything that was genetically modified over 90%. I mean, like if you think about in a, trying to find a nitrogen source, for instance, that's not um, manure-based or have some sort of animal product, blood mill, um, bone mill, feather mill. Um, bone mill would be more of a potassium base. Um, and so we, we decided we were going to try and figure this out, and it's been quite the journey uh, to try to work through all the different challenges that, that presented. And so I was learning a lot of things in that process. And so one of the things I learned was that uh, we were looking at peanut mill. And so I thought, okay, well, that seems like a pretty straightforward source. So I called the company. I said, okay, so where's the peanuts come from? It's an organic peanut mill. And they said, well, it's a, they're sourced uh, out of, I think it was South America. They're, they're grown conventionally. It's a remnant of when they press the peanuts for peanut oil and they use a surfactant to get all the oil out of that and they compost it and now it's called organic. And I thought that doesn't sound anything like what my picture of organic would be. And so I called a company, Golden Peanut, down in Georgia and said, okay, I don't want to use that product. Do you offer anything else? And they said, well, we actually have a peanut flour. And the peanut flour is about $8 a pound. And I'm like, well, that's completely unreasonable for me. Um, is there any other options? And they said, well, we have out-of-date peanut flour that we could potentially sell you because we can't sell it as a food grade. And so I worked with them, and we started getting peanut flour for them for the same price that I could get um, peanut meal. And it's an organically grown peanut in Texas. And when they do the processing, because it's an organic process, they don't use a surfactant. And so that was something that I did for several years. And then, of course, you know, peanuts have become so popular, organic peanuts have become so popular, they don't really have any available anymore at the right price point. So now we've shifted to um, flaxseed mill um, as a nitrogen source. And so you can see there's there's definitely things going on in the industry that are that are much more uh, complex and they take a little more research than most people seem to be willing to do. But for me, it was important because if I go and I'm telling this, you know, I, I told you my first experience, you know, when I had this experience with this lady, I, I really felt um, it became really important to me that this lady was trusting me to nourish her and her family. And so that has always been the impetus behind my, my decision-making process when I farm. You know, what do I want to eat? And when someone tells me something's organic, what do I think that means? 
what you know what's that mean to me when someone says that you know I have an idea of that and so I want to meet that standard I don't want to just meet the federal government's um, quote unquote standard I actually want it to to mean what I think it means so is that and, how you guys end up going naturally grown instead of being certified organic because I had talked actually, to like Elizabeth Weller from the uh, naturally grown organization. Mm-hmm. Well, so my experience was, is when we came into uh, farming, so I interned for one year. The next year we started a farm. One of the ladies that I interned with and one of the, the gentlemen that owned some land that the gentleman we interned with was farming, we decided we wanted to do work together. And so, you know, obvi- the, obviously the next question was, are we going to certify organic? And so we started looking at options and what we decided was – there was a lot of things going on with the certification at that time. You know, that was several years ago. Um, and the dairy side of it was really concerning to us. There was, there was, and I don't want to name any names, but um, there were definitely some dairy organizations that were not really following the standards and maintaining their certifications. And so we were a little disturbed by that. And we thought, you know what, it was really important to us to have at least a third party option available and the certified naturally grown was a grassroots organization. They have really good principles, I think. And so we just opted to try to support that third party option. Hey, progressive radio network listeners. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to hear the full interview and the rest of um, the getting to the root of things, just go to the organic gardener podcast Dot com and click on the podcast tab and you can listen to the full show. You can see all the show notes. Thanks for joining us today.